truth. I am so sick of the media dictating the terms of the narrative in this country. I'm so sick of having to be apologetic for who I am. I'm so sick of people in middle America being called a flyover country or slope-headed conservative teabaggers. And it's going to be teabagging day. It's hard to talk when you're teabagging. <laughs> it's so funny because the teabaggers, the one thing they hate is when you call them racist. If racism is not the whole of the Tea Party, it is in its heart. The hatred that is Timothy McVeigh, that he had. There are plenty of people like that right now. Lots of I think you get the general tenor of this. It's anti-government. This is highly promoted by the right-wing conservative network, Fox. The left pits people against each other. Divide and conquer is the strategy. I don't want to live in that world. It is the exact opposite of E Pluribus Uno. He said you were racist. He said you were very 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 racist. He And the Tea Party movement and Sarah Palin and Michelle Bachman and Alan West and and all the all the people that have gone out there against the mainstream media and said, you're going to call us racist. You're going to call us potential Timothy McVeigh's Fuck you. War. Good morning. Good morning and welcome to Road Warrior Radio. You're tuning in live this Friday, February 9th, 2024 on the one and only Republic Broadcasting Network. And as always, thanks for coming along for the ride. It is a wild and dystopic ride as we sort of unpack things. Uh, you know, all things war this year and the, the state of total war we find ourselves in that most people don't even realize is happening all around them. It's a painful irony. Everything has been attacked, subverted, turned upside down. A lot of that's gone on for a long time. I've been trying to sort of unpack that, and I think it'll, hopefully, over the year, I'll do that without too much uh, unnecessary or superfluous commentary. Uh, Hopefully, it will be substantive, and uh, I pray that it will anyway. Speaking of prayer, I have been beginning each broadcast with prayer and as i keep saying i'm not trying to sneak up on anybody i just believe uh it is my firm conviction that uh nothing on earth is more powerful than uh christian prayer to uh beseech the holy spirit and uh that God's will be done on earth. It's my firm conviction there's nothing more powerful, you know, to to implore the creator of heaven and earth. You know, if anything can move the hand of God, so to speak, you might say it's uh, fervent prayer. And uh, so I have mentioned, you know, Speaking of that, I mean, there are a couple of verses when when uh, when we talk about this. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. That's one guy. Then there's, um, <clears throat> for where two or three are gathered together in my name, Jesus says, there am I in the midst of them. But, you know, there are other verses, things that encourage like uh, husbands and wives to be of one mind and accord so that their prayers not be, um, I forget the term that's used, but hindered, I think, something along those lines. But I think all of that is really sort of generally summed up in James chapter 1. We must ask in faith without any doubting because 
the the doubter is tossed by the wind and unstable in all his ways ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord so with that in mind I want to get started but before we do a little bit of a twist I said I was going to get into this humanist stuff it's everywhere it, this stuff is all related and I hope that I can do this this year that you know I feel like is this is this broadcast a shotgun blast not really it's more like the proverbial fire hose but not really it's kind of the hydrant i think sometimes because there's just so much and it's all uh related so there's the humanist stuff which is related to the historical stuff there's this it's fascinating to me every time i kick over a wood pile and dig more into the wood pile it seemed like there are these nests in history these termite nests and the things and people, particularly in the West that we've been told to celebrate, mm, turn out to be not so fantastic. So, um, you know, we can include all kinds of things in that. I mean, uh, the Bible translation subject comes up. Um, our own history. Obviously, we have this. We have this conception of american exceptionalism that really i think blinds us in a similar way that uh the two-sided coin to paraphrase jaron lanier his view i've I've read from uh you are not a gadget manifesto in the past about this subject but you know the two sides of the same coin of the singularity and the rapture the way that that sort of hamstrings people and gets them working in a direction that they they might not otherwise. So similarly, that American exceptionalism gets us viewing certain people and the ideas they represent in a favorable light that prevents us from Digging deeper hinders us from uh, seeing the problem there and um, really misleads us and gives us a view of evil as good in simple terms. When I believe if we set that that uh, preconceived notion of American exceptionalism aside, uh. You know, one might think, well, that'll turn us into little Marxist Autobots, as you as you would say, Chris. Um, I don't think so. I think it, to the contrary, I think it humbles us. In my own personal experience, I'll say, I think it's humbling. I think it's humbling. And uh, I think that it... Um, causes one to look deeper and not in a Marxist Autobot sort of way, but just, again, I mean, you think about it, it's humbling, you step back and you think, my goodness, uh, if this is this way and not that way, then what does that mean? You know, what are the broader implications of that and what else have we been Misled on. Anyway, I want to get back to the prayer thing. Speaking of all of this, there's a bit of irony. So I've been praying lately when we open the broadcast, the Lord's Prayer from Matthew 6 and the full armor of God. But it's interesting that um, speaking of the, the Bible controversy... And again, this is a thing, hopefully people don't take this wrong. The last thing I would want is for anybody to throw the baby out with the bathwater. That's not what I'm talking about here. It should, on the contrary, when you think about, you know, uh, Daniel 12 talks about in the last days, knowledge, people will go to and fro and knowledge will be increased. We've seen to and fro 
and uh, knowledge being increased. My goodness, with the internet, for example, you know, we can, everything is at your fingertips in a sense, even though I think there's a dark age that's creeping upon us in glacial, at glacial speed. Uh, like I said yesterday, I, th- I keep noticing more and more red links on Wikipedia as an example of that. And we, we all know that things, certain things have disappeared from the interwebs and stuff like that. But nonetheless, I wonder, concerning the Bible, for example, you know, the Bible says to whom much is given, much will be required. And so in this age where we have an infinite number of translations and um, critical texts and um, all kinds of resources to study the Bible, you know, whether you're doing it from a Christian perspective, a 1 Corinthians 2 perspective, which is really the only way to do it, uh, or just as a historical document, because that's been done too. I mean, the Bible, um, certain books, Ruth, for example, or Song of Songs, uh, or Songs of Solomon have been studied as uh, literature. But, you know, whatever the case, we have all of these resources at our disposal to do that, and yet how many of us make use of any of those? So one wonders if they're, you know, what will be the eternal consequences of taking those things or esteeming those things lightly. And so I think it's important to do some homework, you know, if um, for me, and, you know, maybe this is a Christian liberty thing, maybe this is a Roman, Romans 14 kind of a thing, maybe. Uh, But for me, I feel convicted to be more well-versed and articulate, to have a defense for things. Uh, uh, Why, you know, for example, I mean, is translations really that big of a deal? Well, on the one hand, no, it's a First Corinthians chapter two issue. The secret decoder ring, the Holy Spirit can sort that mess out. But at the same time, why, you know, exasperate in my own words, or maybe grieve the Holy Spirit and not, you know, why why retard or hamstring those efforts when you could set aside the impedances of uh, faulty translations and maybe you know help catalyze the work of the Holy Spirit if that makes sense not that you know man can necessarily impede or accelerate the work of God and the Holy Spirit, but hopefully you understand what I'm saying. And then, um, you know, there's also the issue of why not have a defense for all of this? I mean, I've talked about the Westcott and Hort thing a little bit. I've talked about the phony codices, you know, the efforts of known forgers like Tischendorf that seem to coincide handsomely with the efforts of what I would call theosophists, Westcott and Hort, for example. And now we have um, these translations that um, Dan Ward over at, what is it, uh, Preserved Word Ministries, I think. He has some interesting videos. There's some interesting things you can find on YouTube uh, about this stuff if you dig around. But uh, the way that he puts it, these you know, the the critical texts that resulted in the the uh, Bible, essentially, and all of these modern uh, Bibles that Westcott and Hort showed up with um, to begin with for the updating of the King James have now become um, 
they originally set out to uh, you know the the change that they set out to make was patently what guys like Dan Ward call uh favoring Romanism and uh Unitarianism, which are heretical in Orthodox Christianity, which is an oxymoron. Or excuse me, not an oxymoron, but a, a redundant. It's just Christianity. It's not Orthodox. But you know, you get all of these splintering things. And that's what the devil does. Pull the truth apart. Get it all broken apart like that. You know, it's like the uh, discussion of Calvinism, Arminianism, um, and, um, you know, is it Calvinism or Arminianism? And uh, I always like to say yes and no because... That's what happens. The truth gets pulled apart and then leavened a little bit. And, um, or is it Molinism? You know? And, uh, you know, again, the answer is yes and no. You pull these things apart and then the, the, uh, the end result is to try to, you know, get people focused on the lies. Then, since you've pulled the truth apart, you, you weave the lies back together absent of the truth. I think that's kind of what's happening. Anyway, hopefully some of that makes sense. And with with all of that in mind, as we begin today's broadcast with the with the prayer in mind, it's interesting to know there are a couple of things that I'll mention. Maybe we'll talk about this a little bit to, to begin today's broadcast. But it's interesting, it was brought to my attention by a friend recently. A couple of things. I had a conversation the other day speaking of um, you know, what people would call the Catholic Bible. Um, Dewey, Dewey Rhymes um, is, you know, you might call that the Catholic Bible. Uh, the Ten Commandments, the first first commandment exodus 20 verse 3 thou shalt have no thou shalt have not thou shalt not have strange gods before me what the heck is strange gods so you know the worship of mary the goddess of a thousand names is okay (gasps) how dare you yeah you can call some other guy father even though jesus said you know don't do that you can pray to the saints that's necromancy and on and on, thou shalt thou shalt not have strange gods before me. But this other was brought to my attention by a friend yesterday. Um, Ephesians six twelve, King James versus Geneva. Ready? So King James, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers against powers, against the rulers of this dark of of the darkness of this world against spiritual wickedness in high places. Okay. That's King James. So what about Geneva? And, um, so let's take a look at that. The Geneva. Ephesians my apologies I thought that I had that at my fingertips chapter 6 verse 12 King James versus Geneva. Yeah, I'll give it to you when we come back from the break. Stick around. More right after this break.
attention, freedom-loving patriots. Are you ready to dive deep into the principles that founded our great nation? Join me, Peter Seraphine, and the Institute on the Constitution as we light the way to a brighter future with the Liberty Lighthouse Classroom. At liberty-lighthouse.com slash classroom, you'll find a treasure trove of online courses on the U.S. Constitution, carefully crafted to empower you with knowledge to defend your rights and liberty, whether you're a student, a history enthusiast, or just a concerned citizen. These courses are for you. Gain a comprehensive understanding of our Constitution's principles, the wisdom of our founding fathers, and how to apply them in today's world. As a special offer to our freedom-loving listeners of Republic Broadcasting Network, use coupon code RBN at checkout and get 20% discount on any course. Join the Liberty Lighthouse Classroom and be a part of the movement to uphold the values that have made our nation exceptional. Unleash the power of knowledge and protect what truly matters, our Constitution. Visit liberty-lighthouse.com slash classroom today. Don't miss this incredible opportunity. Use code RBN for 20% off. Together, we'll be the beacon of freedom our founding generation envisioned. Liberty Lighthouse Classroom. Illuminating minds, empowering patriots. Did you know the IRS publicly admits that income tax is collected by voluntary compliance? Get the information you need to help you avoid income tax with these five easy steps. All you have to do is go to avoidincometax.com to get your five easy steps on how to avoid the IRS income tax. Escape the IRS. Let avoidincometax.com help you. We guarantee our five easy steps or your money back. Go to avoidincometax.com. Health Simple with Colorado Shilaji. Fact bit number one. What goes in must come out. Whatever we ingest, breathe in, or transfer by contact must be expelled. Expelled directly as burned calories through perspiration, respiration, or expelled via urinary and gastric channels. Every element that is not properly used or removed by our bodies become toxin. And toxins are causal to every disease and ailment. Toxins are what makes us subpar. Unable to be our best. Be your healthy best by cleansing your body of daily, deeply embedded toxins. Live stronger, and we hope live longer. Legit Shiuji, like Colorado Shiuji, is perhaps the greatest homeopathic whole body remover of toxins made by Mother Earth. Our health is our only true wealth. Get healthy, be healthy, and stay healthy. Colorado Shiuji, hand harvest, raw processed, and packaged in the heart of the Rocky. Look for the Gold Mountain and Medical Symbol logo in banners on republicbroadcasting.org. Use code GORBN when ordering. That's G-O-R-B-N. So, check this out. In simple terms, the authorized King James Version, Geneva was sort of authorized too, compared to Tyndale's work on, you know, on which most of the modern translations at that time, um, the work that was 
going on in the late uh, 16th and early 17th century that included the King James, that stuff was built on Tyndale's work. So, you know, the question, the Streisand effect question is, why was Tyndale burned at the stake as a heretic and then his work used to as the basis for uh, particularly the New Testament in all these authorized versions. And then from there, obviously, the nuanced question is what happened? What was changed? Anyway, the difference between the King James and Geneva gives us a clue into that, I think. So from the authorized King James, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Now, the the, uh, Geneva, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, okay, same, and against the worldly governors. Hmm principalities of the darkness of this world against spiritual wickedness which are in the high places wait a minute against the worldly governors that's interesting why do you suppose anyone would want to leave that out of a translation it's a rhetorical question obviously you see that over and over you see how you know things like this funny business like this has been You know, and so some people will say, well, you know, we might as well just throw the baby out with the bathwater. On the contrary, if you pay attention, then these kinds of things read like the Streisand effect. You're trying to hide something, it just it only makes it more obvious. One of my favorite collections of uh, evidence on this is over at av1611.com. Ironically, a lot of the King James only folks have not dug further into the issue, which is interesting. And I'm right now, um, um, still, still looking into, you know, Tyndale and his efforts, but also, um, Erasmus's efforts and who knows, maybe Jerome's efforts, um, when we're talking about the Texas Receptus and the Vulgate, I, I just the point is, why not be aware of these things and dig in a little deeper and keep asking questions, not to try to deny God, but to try to uh, unravel the satanic-led man-made efforts to derail people's efforts to hear from God directly or um, more potently, I guess, you know, trying to water down the word, which you're not supposed to do, obviously. I mean, the book of Revelation expressly warns against that, for example. But again, one of my favorite examples is over at AV1611. The two posts... um, Parts 1 and 2, Bible passages removed, Westcott and Hort's magic marker binge. Part 1 and Part 2. And I've mentioned this before, but maybe it begs mentioning again before we do the prayer here at the bottom of the hour in a second. But, you know, just, I mean, think about this. You don't even have to be a Christian to look at this and see this is evidence of a broader conspiracy. First of all, Why so much effort to try to manipulate the text? Why is it so important? And more importantly, you you might say, if you do this with this, what won't you do this with? Hopefully that makes sense. Stick around. We'll be right back after this short break. You are tuned in to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Visit our website, by going to republicbroadcasting.org.
Gilad Atzman says the essence of Jewish power is the ability to prevent the discussion of Jewish power. Jewish power requires anybody in politics to understand it and know about it, but never talk about it. My awakening really sums up with the very best evidence, the facts and the truth about race and the fact that race drives history and the truth about the Jewish question. The younger you get, the greater the percentage of people who identify as alphabet soup, you know, LGBTQ, RS. This woman, she's like, oh yeah, I identify as a koala two years ago. And I'm like, what? A koala? What? Maybe if it was quickie koala, that might be cool, but otherwise, you know. How about an inward pass? Have you ever received an inward pass from any of your black friends? Biden invited a drag queen to come for the signing of the Respect for Marriage Act. It's an Respect for Anal Sex Act. So, you know, I mean, let's, let's just call it like it is. The Patrick and Jeremy Show, Tuesday at 9 Central and Wednesday at 1 Central. Are you one of the millions of people who feel like there is a dark cloud hanging over their heads whenever they're using pharmaceutical drugs? For some, the short-term relief can turn into an opioid addiction nightmare. Have you ever wondered why CBD oil is a billion-dollar industry? It's because it works better than opioids and is actually healthy for you. However, CBD oil is stripped of all other helpful compounds found in the hemp plant. According to neuroscientists, the whole hemp plant, otherwise known as hemp paste, is even more effective than the chemically processed CBD oil. Are you ready to take back your health? You can try hemp paste for the price of a cup of coffee. Hemppaste.com slash RBN. Free shipping on orders over $50. See the banners for Hemp Paste at republicbroadcasting.org and visit hemppaste.com slash RBN. Tahibo Tea Club's original Pure Pouty Arco Super Tea comes from the only tree in the world that fungus does not grow on. As a result, it naturally has antifungal, anti-infection, antiviral, antibacterial, anti-inflammation, and anti-parasite properties. So the tea is great for healthy people because it helps build the immune system, and it can truly be miraculous for someone fighting a potentially life-threatening disease due to an infection, diabetes, or cancer. The tea is also organic and naturally caffeine-free. A one-pound package of tea is $49.95, which includes shipping. To order, please visit drinksupertea.com. The first word is drink, spelled D-R-I-N-K, then the word super, then the word tea. The complete website is drinksupertea.com. Or call us at 818-965-9113, Monday through Saturday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. California time. That's 818-965-9113. Drinksupertea.com. Welcome back. All right, so you got to ask yourself, I mean, we know here on RBN that, you know, the Orwellian doctrinal statement, essentially, who controls the past, you know, who controls the past, controls the future, controls the present, controls the past. I like to think of it all online, who controls... The present controls the past, who controls the past controls the future. And so who's who's rewriting the textbooks effectively? Who's in charge of education? I mean, again, back to 
big moments like um, the Reese Committee, a, con- a congressional committee to unravel what's going on at the foundations. There's a rumor that you guys are funding un-American and even anti-American activity and literature and textbooks and things. We're just here to find out if that's true. And I'm sure there were folks who were disdainful. You know, again, it was uh, an established fact. I don't remember exactly how much. I think it was I want to say it was it was it was millions of dollars that the Ford Foundation set aside to investigate the committee while the committee I think had what is it 3 or 500,000 dollars to do their work to investigate all of the large foundations. So there's a disparity. I'm sure there's a disdain. How dare you guys, you know, who do you think you are? You know, when you're when you're part of a handful or, you know, a small group of people who, for example, created the Department of Education, the General Education Board, you create these things that get handed off to the federal government and then become agencies, your little pets. I'm sure there was a disdain. So we know here on RBN that those kinds of things happen. There's an effort to control people. But this The Bible thing, you know, with this stuff, you have to ask yourself, why is it so important for this to be done? Especially in light of the age, you know, the the scientific revolution, the Renaissance, uh, you know, you know, all of that giving birth to um, the, the esoteric plan all along. I've talked about the Genesis 11, you know, return to the New Atlantis stuff. And um, how all of history is pregnant with those plans that were disrupted at in Genesis 11 because Jesus hadn't arrived on the scene yet, hadn't been born. And so all of that had to be accomplished first. Anyway, it's, it's fascinating. You know, again, to me, it reads like the Streisand effect. So from... The um, the AV sixteen eleven post number one Bible passages removed Westcott and Hort's magic marker binge. It reads like the the Streisand effect. What do you mean? I'll I'll tell you what I mean. Uh, would you? Take a magic marker to your Bible and cross out words from passages. Well, if you were a Unitarian like Jefferson, you would. Different discussion. Matthew 18, 11, gone. For the Son of Man is come to save that which was lost. Now, why would you want to cross that out? Welcome to the amazing Westcott and Hort magic marker binge. The chart below illustrates what was done when the text used by Christianity for 1,800 years, was replaced with a text assembled by Brooke Foss, Westcott, and Fent, uh, Brooke Foss, Westcott, and Fent, Fent and John Anthony Hort. Uh, but, you know, that whole used for 1,800, used by Christianity for 1,800 years, that we have to look more closely at, too. But that's part two for me. And most people, it's it's just interesting how we sort of stop there at dead ends. This whole um, King James only becomes a sort of a limited hangout when I think we should be looking deeper. Uh, so text, uh, things were replaced uh, with a text assembled by Brooke Foss, Westcott, and Fenton, John Anthony Hort in the 19th century and used as the basis for the English Revised version, which nearly all modern translations closely follow. The text shown here is the King James Version. Word sentences or entire phrases and strike through illustrate portions that have been removed from the traditional text underlying the King James uh, Version New Testament to make the modern critical text. Not only, or excuse me, not all modern versions are the same. Some Sometimes the ESV will include a word the NIV doesn't, or the NASB might omit a phrase the NIV 
and NRSV both retain, etc. But for the most part, the examples below represent nearly all of the popular modern versions. Pseudo King James versions, uh, such as the NKJV, are far more subtle and are a different case. See the articles section for NKJV examinations. Compare your modern version and see what the King James version has that yours doesn't. This list is not comprehensive. It's just a sample. The modern critical text that forms the basis for nearly all modern versions omits the equivalent. Listen, let me read that. Let me read that again back up. The modern critical text that forms the basis for nearly all modern versions omits the equivalent of the entire books of first and second Peter. That's significant, especially when you consider that the cherry picked examples or, or the cherry picked uh, omissions, I should say, are very strategic in nature. It's not just a haphazard. Oops, we forgot to include that. It's very strategic. So that's a massive collection of strategic omissions. The author continues, a note before we get started, critics commonly charge that the traditional Bible text used by believers for 1,800 years adds material and that we should be thankful for Westcott and Hort who came along in the 19th century to restore the text of the New Testament that had been corrupt for 1,800 years. And during the entire Reformation, this charge is, of course, made against evidence to the contrary. As you will find if you research the text lines in this post, read other articles on this website also, parenthetically. Uh, further, it is interesting to note that one of these verses is this, Romans 13.9. In the King James, Romans 13.9 is... For this, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. The author continues, the phrase, thou shalt not bear false witness, is missing from the modern critical text, and therefore, most modern versions. Now, I ask you, is it reasonable to assume that a scribe added a self-incriminating phrase to the passage? Or is it more likely that those who corrupt the word of God, 2 Corinthians 2.17, removed the phrase which indicted them? 2 Corinthians 2.17 in the King James, For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God. But as of sincerity, but as of God, in the sight of God, speak we in Christ. So, it becomes self-evident, I think, especially as you go down through the list of verses. You know, uh, many people point, for example, to Matthew twenty-three fourteen, which is entirely omitted from the modern critical text. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayer. Therefore ye shall receive the greater damnation. Why would you want to do that? Because it's self-incriminating. Obviously. And if you are on the mission that Westcott and Hort were on, well, then this is what you do. What mission were they on? Well, speaking of Dan Ward over at... Preserved Word Ministries, he's done some really interesting stuff over the years on this. So there's one that he did, one video back, published November 23rd, 2021, titled Two Bibles, Part 1, Westcott and Hort's Demonic Creation. And it's 32 minutes long, but we'll play the first 12 minutes and change. Can we do that, please? Hi, everyone. Dan at Preserved Word Ministries. Well, today... I'm going to go through something which many of you will find completely shocking. You'll find it hard to believe. It'll be new to many of you. Others already know much of this, but I do know to many it's just going to be absolutely shocking and seem almost impossible to believe. But what I'm about to 
give you, what I'm about to unfold before you, is absolutely true. It's fully documented, and all of the resources are out there. Many are on the Internet. Others are in books. Um, I will I will mention where these resources are as I go along. For those of you who want to do the research and verify that, yes, this information is absolutely true. And I have a lot of notes here, and I'm going to try to go through my notes and go slow and keep this orderly. Basically, um, I'm trying to condense down what would be literally thousands and thousands of pages of reading, historical documents, um, letters, articles, other things, all documented. But this is something I've been working on for years, and I'm condensing a lot of information down and giving you specific quotes and examples where if you do the research, you'll see there's hundreds more just like those, hundreds more examples of Westcott and Hort's letters, for example, saying the very same things. So let me start with this statement for those of you who are new to this subject. There is in existence today two completely different Bibles. Now, what I mean by that is the Greek text, and I'm specifically talking about the New Testament in this video. We'll save the Old Testament for another time. There's two different New Testaments in Greek. One is the text that has been preserved since the beginning of the church, and that is translated into English in the King James Bible. The other Greek text is translated to English in most modern versions of the Bible. ESV, NIV, NLT, NASB, Holman Christian Standard, Amplified, and almost all other modern versions of the Bible. The Again, the first one that I mentioned that has been handed down from the time that it was given, the, the received text, meaning the text that was received by the church from God, is translated in English in the New Testament of the King James Bible. This other text is created by two men by the name of Brooke Foss Westcott and John Anthony Hort. So let me tell you a little bit about what happened here, and then we're going to dig right in, and I will let you hear it um, from their own writings, from their own letters, their own diaries. So, basically, in the 1800s, there was going to be a revision of the King James Bible to update some of what some were calling archaic language. Uh, There were some in the Church of England, some of the church leaders who felt that some of the terms that were no longer used in the modern English of the 1800s could be better updated to other words. There would be no changes in the doctrine, no changes in the text, no changes in um, the Greek manuscripts that were being translated from. It would just be Let's go update a few archaic words. Now, many um, conservatives opposed this, while those who are more liberal wanted this. And I can tell you the reason for that today, in using the King James Bible and understanding how the English language has deteriorated, that if we were for example, well, I'll give you one example that's done in modern Bibles. If you take words like fornication and sodomite, and you replace them with words like immorality or immoral person, you actually completely lose the definition, which, using those older words, is brought accurately from the Greek into English to give you a full accurate meaning. Um, Using words like an immoral person completely changes the meaning from the original language, from Greek. So, my opinion, even though much of the words could be considered archaic, 
in order to be accurate to the Greek and the Hebrew, they have to be maintained because you can't find equivalents equivalents in modern English because modern English has so deteriorated. That just as a side note. So basically, they started to put together this committee, and this went on, like I said, in the mid and then late 1800s. We're going to put together a committee. We're going to update some of the language. So Westcott and Hort, who were two leaders in the Church of England, became um, basically the head of what was called the Revision Committee to uh, update this archaic language. And Westcott and Hort had ulterior motives. First of all, and all this is going to be seen, we're, we're going to dig in and unfold it here in just a minute. Westcott and Hort were not Christians. They were pretending to be Christians in order to get on this committee, and they confessed this in their own writings. That's the thing. Everything I'm telling you is confessed in their own hand. In the 1800s, people didn't throw away letters. They wrote letters, and they saved them. So we have 30 years' worth of letters written by Hort's hands and written by Westcott's hands, plus their diaries, which were put in print by their children after they passed, plus numerous other historical documents to show everything that I'm saying is absolutely true. But Westcott and Hort had an ulterior motive. They uh, considered the doctrines of Orthodox Christianity to be heresy. They hated the Christian Bible, and they called it vile. They called the doctrines, again, of of Protestant theology, of, of Orthodox Christianity, to be heresy. Things like the Atonement of Christ... They listed that specifically as a heresy. They did not believe that Jesus died for anyone. They did not believe that Jesus uh, was God. They rejected a literal devil and a literal hell and a literal resurrection. And they considered the doctrine of the inerrancy of Scripture to be a heresy and so much more. However, their loyalties were to Unitarianism and Romanism. In their own letters, uh, they both pledged their allegiance to the doctrines of the Unitarian Church, again, which are such things as um, Jesus is a created being, the atonement is not real, he did not die for anybody, there is no literal heaven, there is no literal hell. Um, they confessed to Mariolatry, worshiping Mary. They confess to uh, sacerdotality, which means that a priest must intercede for us in the Roman church because we have no direct access to God. These things are in their own writing. So we're going to start with a letter that was written to John Ellerton in 1853. And in this letter that was written by uh, Hort, he openly stated that his intent was to create a Bible that was not, quote, disfigured with corruptions from Orthodox Christianity. In another letter written in 1870 to the Reverend Ellerton, after the revision had begun, Hort boasted that he and his associates had successfully overcome, quote, the dangerous ground of changing the Bible of Orthodox Christianity and that this would be a new beginning of a new period in church history. See, Hort and Westcott both revealed their plans, as we go along we'll see more of this, that their intent was to create a Bible that would undermine the doctrines of Orthodox Christianity, but would support the doctrines of Unitarianism and Romanism. And again, if you're using a modern version such as the ESV, NIV, NLT, so forth, you are using their corrupted text that they created to undermine Christian doctrine and to support Unitarian and Romanism doctrine. And we're going to look at specific examples of how they did this and, and look right at 
the modern Bibles to see how it's done. But let's get back into their words. So they begin talking clear back in the late 1840s in letters about the idea of creating a new Bible that would not have the corruptions of Orthodox Christianity in it. In other words, things like the deity of Christ, the Trinity, um, the atonement, uh, and so forth, uh, would be changed, removed, um, to a certain way that would no longer support Orthodox Christianity, but would support Unitarianism and so forth. At the age of 21, while an undergraduate at Cambridge, Hort stated that he did not believe the doctrine of Jesus dying for our sins, nor of a literal hell or a devil. He aligned himself with the Unitarians. We mentioned that, and again, I'm going through my notes. I've got a lot of notes here, and I'm going to just, I'm trying my best to keep them in order. Um, In 1848, Westcott, in a letter that he wrote, denied the literal fall of Adam. Basically, it was fiction to him. And he wrote that he despised those who took the Bible literally. In other words, the Bible is a book of stories. It's not to be taken literally. And he despised those who took it it literally and who would consider it greater than any other historical book. In fact, both of them went on to write that they considered the teachings of Greek philosophy to be of greater accuracy and importance than the writings of the Bible. There's more, but uh, we can draw the line there. I mean, I think (laughs) that, you know, that's a good place to put a nice little bow on it. Um, They despised those who took uh, the Bible literally and uh, who would consider it greater than any other historical book, in fact – both of them went on to write that they considered the teachings of Greek philosophy to be of greater accuracy and importance than the writings of the Bible. Uh, You know, you can hear the echo of Tertullian. And this sort of reminds me of the question Chris and Virginia asked about philosophy. This sort of gets to that. Um, There's a lady who... um, is on Stack Exchange, who has some very interesting responses to things, uh, the Christianity Stack Exchange in particular. And there was a question, what has Jerusalem to do with Athens, which is Tertullian. The question is asked, and this lady gave a magnificent response. Um, and the, the Stack Exchange post is titled, Philosophy, What Has Jerusalem to Do with Athens? And in the response, she mentions the two quotes from Tertullian and the one from John Zizulius. Um, Tertullian observed, observed, and this is, man, this is it in a nutshell. What indeed has Athens to do with Jerusalem? What has the academy, the Platonic Academy? And, you know, it's offshoots and continuation. What has the academy to do with the church? Uh, Tertullian also observed, in fact, heresies are themselves prompted by philosophy. And Zizulius observed, there are no new heresies after the 5th century, and that's a clue. Stick around, we'll be right back, second hour coming up. Within Ayurveda, Shilaji is a singular substance that towers above all other herbs, herbal minerals, and earth-made adaptogens. Yogavaha refers to substances that have the ability to synergistically make better and carry other substances to its prescribed destination. In the case of Shilaji, most any herb, food, or mineral is amplified with ionic potential, superimposing superior efficacy with increased cellular energy and absorption rate. One of the best applications for Shilaji is to add a drop or two into your favorite herbal tincture or foodstuff. Simply put, Shilaji makes other substances more effective. Shilaji, legit Shilaji, such as Colorado Shilaji, is the king and the supreme yoga vaha. It is the tonic that indeed towers above any other earth substance. Look for the gold mountain and medical symbol logo in banners on republicbroadcasting.org. Use code GORBN when ordering. That's G-O-R-B-N. 
You're listening to Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth. Truth, 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 truth.